This is this is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Coming up, subversely with Dan Zhang, the opinions expressed on the show are not necessarily those of the regents of the University of California, nor the management of KUCI. Uh, coming up, we'll be uh, doing a show on uh, Peter Camejo, who died on Saturday. Uh, he's a third-party candidate for president and also for governor of California. And we'll be hearing from friends and comrades of his, of his uh, during the show. Uh, stay tuned. Uh, this is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. You're listening to Subversely here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Uh, coming up, Subversely with Dan Zhang. Uh, the opinions expressed on the show are not necessarily those of the regents of the University of California, nor the management of KUCI. Um, with us uh, today on our program to remember the life and times of Peter Camejo, uh, Donna Ward and Matt Gonzalez. Wel- welcome to the show. Thank you. This is Donna Warren. Donna Warren, yes. Me. Yeah, hi. And uh, Matt, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Hi. Oh, great. Uh, yeah, uh, how, maybe you could start off uh, telling our listeners who Peter was. Well, uh, Peter Camejo was uh, an important figure in American politics, uh, particularly of the left. He uh, was uh, a member of the Socialist Workers' Party, and stood as their candidate for president in 1976. Um, he was one of the founders of the Green Party, uh, ran for governor uh, three times here in California, and he was Ralph Nader's vice presidential running mate uh, in 2004. And uh, Donna, you were running with him on uh, the governor's ticket, right? Yes, no, I ran I kn- with Peter twice. Yeah. Once in 2002 and the other time in 2006. Peter also ran for governor in the recall election uh, in 2003 when the uh, people of California ousted Gray Davis and um, held a series of debates. This was really significant because it was the first time that uh, the Green Party participated in the debates on an equal footing. You know, this is something that they're not allowing, the Democrats and the Republicans are not allowing uh, Matt Gonzalez and Ralph Nader to enter into the debates. But when Peter entered the debates, the consensus was among the media and among the people that he was uh, the best in the debates. He articulated his positions um, uh, very clearly. He kept his cool. He was courteous and respectful, and his personality, which Peter was a little funny, you know, when I say funny, I mean, you know, he was funny, uh, he was very, um, uh, he was, well, let me put it this way, he, nothing came on you like a hard brick. Peter delivered the issues, but delivered it with a sense of humor, and that came through in the debates, too. Uh, after Peter debated the Green Party rose to a much higher standard. Yeah, and the, in the, in the, also in the early, even, even before that, in the 2002 election, uh, he got f- 5% of the vote, right, in California. 
Well, actually, 5.3%, but, you know, who's... Uh, right. <laughs> no, he got more votes than any Green Party candidate had ever gotten. And I also want to say in the recall election, you know, Peter was, oh, Peter was sterling. He, his principles were just absolutely the highest, and he really cared about people. Uh, one of the issues that he was spout, spouting in the debates was uh, his opposition to the death penalty and also to the prison industrial complex in California, especially the three strikes law. Uh, what happened in the recall election of 2003 is that Peter's highest vote count came from the African American and the Latino communities. Those are two communities that the Greens, it was kind of hard for the Greens to, to reach, but with Peter talking about issues that were important to those two communities, we actually reached those communities, and I dare say this is why Cynthia McKinney is the uh, candidate for the Green Party. Cynthia McKinney, the black congressman, prior congresswoman, Democrat from Georgia, is the Green Party candidate for president. And I know it's because Peter paved the way. The way. Uh, how did you both meet him uh, at the beginning? Uh, maybe Matt? Well, uh, I, I met Peter because he attended a, a political um, gathering that I was speaking at. I knew of Peter because uh, I was familiar with a book that he had written on radical reconstruction. And, uh, you know, we had uh, mutual respect and admiration for one another. Um, the, the thing I think to, to keep in mind about Peter is that when, when you think about elections, it's it's that, um, you know, a lot of people think about elections based on who wins the contest. And when they think of a politician, they only think about those who win. They don't give uh, sufficient credit to those that run and are often uh, challenging the status quo in uh, far ahead of the others in terms of issues, whether it be, you know, support for gay rights or, um, you know, against the death penalty and, and support for, uh, you know, fair taxation, uh, universal health care, et cetera. In Peter's case, he always felt that uh, we did not have free elections in this country. He felt that that was the, uh, the, the thing that needed to be toppled before we would really be able to create a left movement in this country, and that is uh, wanting people to know that they could go to the polls and not have to vote strategically, that they should be able to vote for who they wanted. And so he was a big supporter of what I call majority elections, that an election be won by someone who has over 50% of the vote. And um, he was very committed to that. And so you're saying that uh, generally third-party candidates don't, don't run to win, they run to raise issues. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't personally characterize it that way. Uh, in any political contest I'm in, I'm running to win. There are a number of factors, though, that both he and I as candidates are aware of, which is we're not going to be allowed into debates. We're not going to get the press coverage that we ought to get. Of course, if we were or, or, or that did happen, you could have uh, radical transformation. You know, Jesse Ventura was at 9 or 10% in the polls 
in his governor's race in Minnesota. They led him into debates less than two months before the election, and he ended up winning the contest with 37 percent of the vote. Um, hmm. You know, that's pretty extraordinary. Yeah. In, in Peter's case, it was, uh, you know, I heard over and over again how much people liked him in the, uh, in the debates, but they were fearful that Schwarzenegger was going to be elected, and they were hesitant uh, to vote for him, although, you know, many did and, and are very proud of it. So did, uh, did he feel that he uh, was, able, was successful in that campaign? in the governor's race. Was he what? Or successful in raising issues that matter to people. And that was the main problem that he didn't reach enough people. Well, you have to keep in mind that those debates sketch in uh, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of homes. And so it's pretty significant. I think he was particularly proud of the fact that when he ran for governor that there were uh, greater uh, Latinos and African-Americans that were voting uh, for the Green Party, and also that, um, you know, if you looked at uh, socioeconomic numbers, you know, it tended to be uh, people at the bottom of that kind of uh, spectrum that uh, want, were, were hearing his message and supporting it. You know, I mean, Peter was, here he was, a wealthy man who had money through socially responsible investing, who was in effect urging a different kind of taxation that would not give the wealthy the kind of tax breaks that they're generally accustomed to. Yeah, it's kind of ironic that uh, he died on the same weekend that the financial system is collapsing, uh, and he was an advocate, and he wrote about socially responsible investing and also about the corporate takeover of California. Yes, I think he, he, he felt uh, he, he was definitely a student of history, and he felt that uh, history was very cyclical, and he felt that there were opportunities that were happening right now that could uh, shake people awake to um, to some hopefully some fundamental change. Um, you know, a lot of times, and Peter used to say this: you don't know where change is going to come from. You don't always know what it's going to look like, uh, but but when it happens, you know, it can happen very quickly. And he had seen a lot of governments topple in Latin America. I mean, he had, yeah. he had met with prisoners in jails uh, who later were senators of their country. So he, he had seen this happen. He wasn't put off by low vote totals because to him it was about the seeds of uh, a future uh, consciousness, um, which obviously is, is a precondition for, for the change he looked, looked forward to. What, what do you think he would have said about the weekend's act, uh, developments this weekend with, uh, you know, banks collapsing and other banks taking some over and stuff like that? Well, I think he would have, first of all, he would have placed it in the context of the two-party system, and he would have said um, that it would be absurd to give uh, a U.S. senator from either party a promotion, in effect, uh, when on their watch they were not sufficiently um, vigilant over what was happening in these markets. Uh, I think he would have also seen it as um, evidence of what happens uh, when concentrated capital uh, is allowed to simply pursue profits over uh, the concerns of workers and consumers. And I think he, he would have said that this is a, an example where, um, 
you know, government has to play a larger role. There shouldn't be any bailouts whatsoever uh, without greater transparency, without, um, without uh, you know, taxpayer uh, citizen involvement. And if there is going to be a bailout, he would have certainly wanted uh, stock guarantees and, and uh, uh, you know, uh, essentially uh, ownership on behalf of uh, uh, the American taxpayer. What would he say, have said about the people that lost their jobs? Well, uh, again, you know, he, uh, I think he, as a member of the Socialist Workers Party in particular, they had a strong ethic that people had to, um, you know, have work uh, with in, in, in uh, working class type jobs, laborers, you know. He worked in garment districts. He worked in different positions like that, post office, et cetera. And uh, again, he would have he would have seen it as uh, uh, an insult to the American worker to continually bail out the the uh, the wealthiest who are playing around with uh, stocks and ownership and and the CEOs, et cetera, all at the expense of the worker. Mm-hmm. And um, again, he would have seen it as an argument in favor of of. Uh, some type of socialism that had a greater democratic and egalitarian component to it. You know, it's not that that he was opposed to private property. It's that he was opposed to what happens when you concentrate capital in such a way that it's all about profits for the owners. And, of course, he and Ralph Nader both have critiqued these bailouts as, you know, evidence of, you know, the, the greatest irony when capitalists uh, want to socialize their losses. Uh, socialism for the rich. And, exactly. and I, I think you uh, really have to look at the person that Peter was and continues to be. Uh, at a very young age, you know, he did come from a rich family, but as uh, Matt pointed out, Peter held menial jobs throughout um, while being a young man. He did not rely on on the wealth of his father. But when he was very young, and he was in Venezuela, um, his father, he stood with his father on top of a hill and overlooked some condo conversions or uh, condo construction that his father was doing. And Peter saw the poor, the poor who were being displaced, the poor who uh, did not have homes, and even at that early age, in his heart, you know, he made a vow that he would help the poor. And he did so, you know, all his life. You, you can see it throughout his life as a young man at the University of California at Berkeley for standing up uh, to uh, the corporate interests. You saw him. He was uh, the personal friend of Malcolm X. Malcolm X used to sit Peter in the front row of the Harlem Moss when he spoke because, you know, if you, were, uh, if you weren't rich, you had to sit in the front because, you know, <laughs> uh, people weren't trusting you. But Peter took the words of Malcolm X and internalized them. Peter marched with Martin Luther King. Peter, you know, Peter was a man of the people, and unlike... A lot of politicians, you know, you could say he was a community organizer, but unlike a lot of politicians, once 
he started moving up the, the levels of success, he still remained with the people. You know, and I think that's what I liked about Peter more than anything else, his heart. His heart remained pure up, uh, up to the day that he died. And, and he shows it. He shows it in his writings. He shows it in his character. And um, I will remember Peter for that. But l- let me give you a, a little funny story about how I met Peter. I didn't know Peter Kameho, you know, although he was well-known in circles. But what I had done is in 2000, I had changed my registration from Democrat to Green. I'm a black woman living in South Central. And, you know, uh, we're usually Democrats. But (laughs) people had come to a meeting, uh, South Central Coalition, we were having a meeting in the community, and Jack Michon, who's a dear friend of mine now, showed me the ten key values of the Green Party. And because I was fighting so hard for my community, I read the ten key values, and I thought to myself out loud, oh, my God, I'm a Green. I'm a Green. So... I ran for Congress. Julian Dixon had died in office and left his seat open. So I went ahead and I ran for Congress, and I, did, I, did very, I didn't win the seat. Diane Watson won the seat, but I did spectacularly good. And all of a sudden I get a call from this guy named Peter Camejo, and he said, I want to come down and I want to talk to you. And um, I knew Medea Benjamin, and Medea said, Oh, Peter's a good guy. So I picked Peter up from the um, uh, from the airport and brought him to my house in South Central and, and gave him some lunch, and Jack Michon and I were there, and I said, well, what is it that you want? And he says, I want you to be my running mate running for, uh, I'm going to run for governor, I want you to run for lieutenant governor. And I thought he was crazy. What, what, what year was this? <laughs> This was late 2001, and this was for the 2002 campaign. And I said, what are you talking about? I only (laughs) participated in one little election, and, and yeah, I did get maybe six times the votes that we expected to get, you know, but come on, you know, what are you talking about? He says, oh, no, and he laid out his plan. He said, we can bring people into the Green Party so that they can fight for themselves and fight these corporate interests. And he appealed to me, and, you know, I, I had to say yes. And once you sit down and you talk with Peter or you go and you hear Peter speak, if you have any integrity about yourself, you're hooked for life. I heard he was also a, generally a very a friendly and affable, you know, like approachable person, and even strangers going up to him, he would talk with them. Yes, he was very approachable. He was very respectful to everyone. And that's not saying that Peter tolerated stuff. <laughs> he told me no four-letter words on, on the radio, and I'm not going to pronounce it, but he didn't. His integrity was the highest. And I want to say uh, this about Peter and Ralph Nader, because I greatly admire Ralph Nader. Uh, Ralph Nader has stood uh, his principles and, and has uh, stand, stood his stances, and he does not compromise for evil or for what's not good for the American people. And Peter greatly admired Ralph Nader, and I believe that 
uh, Nader returned the favor. In fact, uh, Peter uh, has told me several times how fond and how uh, proud he is of Matt Gonzalez, and I know that Matt uh, feels the same way about Peter. Peter was just, you know, Peter was one of those few guys like Matt, like Ralph, that's in a category all by themselves because they don't accept uh, foolishness, but they keep fighting for the good of our community. And I thank them because it's not easy. They do it uh, getting um, attacked all the time by the forces to be, which is the corporate media, which is the Democrats and the Republicans. In this country, where we're supposed to be the land of the free, you know, the uh, home of the brave, we do not allow other voices to come in. Like, again, the debate. What kind of a debate is it going to be between um, John McCain and Barack Obama. They will never talk about the issues that the American people need to hear. You know, we've got to have Ralph Nader in the debate. We've got to have Matt Gonzalez in the debate. Matt has got to debate Sarah Palin. He's got to debate Joe Biden and bring the sides to the issues that we need to hear. We need to understand why it's not good to go into Iraq. We need to understand what's behind the economy. We need to understand that we don't bail out uh, the Lehman uh, Brothers or Merrill Lynch or Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and all these people that we need to bail out our own people. You know, it's a shame that all these people have lost their homes. Where was the government then? Right. Why are these people losing their homes out on the streets and having to rent again? It doesn't make any sense. How, how was Peter on the war in Iraq? What was his position? Well, he's definitely was against the war. He thought that, number one, it's not a war. It's an occupation. Uh, in Iraq where we're killing hundreds of thousands of innocent people. And even, even if you're uh, an insurgent, you're an innocent person when somebody's going to come over and, you know, and take your life and take your livelihood. But it's even more than that. We're killing families. We're killing children. We're destroying the infrastructure. Peter was uh, 100% against this so-called war in Iraq thought that it should be ended and people should come home now. Now, I'm sure that Matt can expand on that because Peter's stance is what Matt and Ralph Nader also believe about the war in Iraq. Well, let me say this, and I appreciate Donna's kind words. I mean, I think, I think for Peter, he, 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 he certainly got attacked a lot because of his... Uh, association with Ralph Nader. It was a very difficult time to run in 2004. Yeah. Um, but I think he just thought it was so illogical for progressives in particular to want to hang on to this idea that the Democrats were somehow an opposition party. Uh, he would make <laughs> uh, the point of talking about the 20 or 30 standing ovations you know, that the Democrats had given to George Bush when he gave his State of the Union address after uh, invading Iraq, and, and he would just shake his head. I mean, this is, this is not what the opposition should look like. And, of course, this whole notion of a change method when the candidates were talking about, 
you know, support the Patriot Act and the FISA amendment and have, you know, voted for war appropriations. So I think um, Peter was committed to creating a, another uh, type of society, and I don't think he, was, he could be scared off um, by the folks that were threatening uh, him and suggesting that uh, he or Ralph Nader were to blame for George uh, Bush's presidency or anything like that. He saw that as totally a product of the two-party system. It was uh, uh, propagated by the media, and it bore no resemblance to reality. Uh, how can uh, a political party that props up George Bush's regime uh, be complaining uh, that, that uh, you know, they don't have responsibility in what's taken place? Uh, he also... He also liked to cite the historic examples, uh, particularly of the abolitionists, people like James Burney and others in the 1840s who, um, you know, ran for office and could only get 1% of the vote, uh, calling for an end to, to slavery in this country. And he would just say, look, you know, uh, uh, we, 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 were, we remember their struggle and we remember what they overcame. And uh, regardless of how few votes they got, and so um, I think I think Peter is a very important uh, political figure in this country. I think it's a shame that we don't uh, sufficiently respect uh, people that change the political landscape with their ideas and uh, you know fighting it out uh, when it's difficult. In San Francisco, you know, I marvel at how. People get excited uh, by the politicians who support gay marriage or oppose to the death penalty, and I think that's great. But they don't give sufficient credit to all those candidates that came beforehand. You know, I saw them in the in the little endorsement meetings of this club or that organization, where they would say, "Oh, I support gay marriage," and they'd be sort of laughed out of the room. They had no credibility while the candidates that were winning, winning political races were, you know, playing it safe and being cautious and this and that and waiting for the opportunity that they saw to get on board uh, these issues. And so um, I think history is going to be very good to Peter. And um, I think, uh, you know, there's a real sense of the, the thousands of people who knew him, who interacted with him. He didn't capitulate the way so many of his generation have, who have given up the fight, who are scared, who who don't, who are willing to support pro-war candidates because they convinced that it's the lesser of, of of two bad candidates type thing. Peter wouldn't hear hear of that. He he wasn't interested in that. Um, he he wanted something very different. And I think, you know, uh, compromise is a good thing, and Peter understood that. But what uh, these candidates call compromise is too often just straight capitulation, and uh, some of us aren't interested in that. It's the, um, I mean, American history generally, uh, as, as it is taught, doesn't really pay much attention to dissent. Uh, maybe they have a chapter on the 60s, maybe, and on the civil rights movement, but that's it. Uh, there's, I mean, I wonder if, uh, I know that some high schools do uh, assign uh, Howard Zinn's People's History of the United States. And there's a comic book version of, uh, I believe it's uh, Howard Zinn's uh, American Empire. Now, there's a, it's called American Empire. 
And uh, so that's like a kind of alternative view of uh, American history. And I know that uh, that's available in stores. I've seen it. Uh, I've bought copies. And uh, so it's it's generally it's the a top-down kind of, you know, history from the top rather than history of the 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 workers. Yeah, I mean, I think there, there are some folks out there who are uh, certainly trying to provide us with that history. Um, uh, Peter, Peter was someone that also engaged in that. Um, and definitely uh, you, you would not hear a talk by Peter that didn't include some of those historic examples. How, how would he have talked to uh, soldiers who were uh, uh, set to go to Iraq? Uh, the army, of course, is composed of working-class uh, folks, and uh, it, uh, how would he have addressed the fact that they were being uh, kind of recruited to go there? That's a, that's a good question. Um, I think for Peter, he would have been uh, very careful not to want to disparage uh, their sense of patriotism in their understanding of the historical moment. At the same time, he would have, um, I think, made a case not unlike the one Eugene Debs uh, was jailed for, uh, pointing out that the interests that they were defending uh, had very little to do with uh, democracy and, and um, you know, the best parts of this country. And I think he would have tried to, to make a case for... Um, uh, you know, really, that 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 their ideals were not uh, represented by in, in that action. Uh, how did he de- look at patriotism uh, in America? How, did he ever talk about that? Well, I don't recall um, hearing him discuss that ex- outside of the uh, of a critique of the Patriot Act itself and just the absurdity of. Uh, naming a piece of legislation um, in, in such a fashion, you know, it's such an affront to civil liberties. Um, but uh, I think, you know, I think he was someone that was fighting not for a, a quaint notion of American democracy. I think he was fighting for something that hasn't been seen in this country yet. I think uh, Peter was a, a believer in the Constitution, not because of what it was, but because of what it could be. Mm-hmm. And um, Donna, what your thoughts? Yeah, I'm. You know, I'm. I'm listening to um, uh, patriotism. You know, uh, you're you're saying patriotism, but I'm not talking about Matt, but our host. And you really have to define it, because patriotism in the minds of some Americans is going to war when your commander-in-chief tells you to and in giving up your life as long as it's not the life of your loved one, you know, uh, which I kind of believe kind of put the spin on, uh, on Sarah Palin, who is so um, eager to sacrifice her own son uh, for the war in Iraq. You know, to some people, that's what patriotism is. But to others, patriotism means really loving this country, loving this country, and not going into conflicts which you start 
and uh, which you shouldn't be in in the first place, but staying home and making sure that this country is, uh, is, is satisfies the needs of the people who live in this country. So in that respect, you know, I would say that Peter was a great patriot. He loved this country, but he also loved the world. He loved humanity. And he was going to do what was necessary to make sure that we all um, participated in this experiment that we call democracy and uh, the pursuit of happiness in America. So, you know, again, because to me, patriotism is not going over to Iraq and giving up your life and making your, uh, your family miserable or coming home without limbs or maybe not coming home at all and suffering the death of a child. You know, that's not patriotism. Patriotism is living, living and living well, not just for your own class, but for all the people in America, for the people in Appalachia, for the people in South Central. You know, every child should have a good education, uh, have a stable family, have a decent home, have enough to eat, uh, have rights that everyone else has. Those, that's the kind of patriot, patriot that Peter was, and, you know, and that's the kind of patriot, patriotism that he spread to everyone, that we are each other's keeper. I'm my brother's keeper, and it is my responsibility to make sure that we all prosper in this country. Yeah, definitely. Uh, patriotism should not be equated with uh, jingoism. Uh, no. It seems like in July 4th, that's usually what happens is the celebration of wars that America has fought in. Yeah, and, and you know... I mean, we're still proud of our service in World War II, which, uh, you know, killed millions of people, I believe, unnecessarily. Uh, we're listening to Subversity here on KUCI. Uh, the opinions expressed on the show are not necessarily those of the regions of the University of California nor the management of KUCI. We're talking with Matt Gonzalez and uh, Donna uh, Warren, uh, who are comrades of uh, Peter Camejo. Uh, who died on Saturday. Um, how, uh, how did Peter address uh, domestic issues like uh, health care and uh, other issues uh, that affect uh, people here? Well, Peter wanted um, universal health care to be guaranteed to every Californian. And, uh, you know, he talked about genetically modified foods. Um, he talked about uh, having access yeah Matt yes hello oh yeah did he address uh what what were some of the domestic issues you remember him addressing particularly well oh no he, I was going to say the one that that um I, oh we're losing the sound uh on I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Okay. No, yeah, I mean, yeah. I want Matt to address this, but I, I wanted to, um, to give what connected me to Peter, and the issue was number one, was Peter's stance 
on on uh, on law and order on the prison industrial complex. Right. Peter was a strong supporter of uh, of changing these laws, especially amending the three strikes law, so that uh, people would not spend their lives in prison for nonviolent crimes. In fact, he was championing the case of Santos Reyes, who is a roofer who was sentenced to 27 years in prison for taking a DMV test for his cousin who could not read. Uh, Peter championed his case. Uh, he got others to come in, like Nativo Lopez, to champion uh, Mr. Reyes's case. Uh, Peter even was able to take it to the Court of Appeals. Unfortunately, the Court of Appeals denied um, uh, Mr. Reyes's claim, and he is still serving out a 27-year sentence for taking a DMV test for a cousin. So um, I just wanted to address that. But, I mean, Matt, please, you know, there were a lot of other things that uh, Peter was interested in uh, domestically. Well, I mean, I think, uh, you know, a lot of his uh, considerations turned around immigration issues. and um, He was not an immigrant, right? He was born here. That's uh, right. He was yeah. born here, but, but he uh, somewhat uh, had the immigrant experience because he spent his early years in Venezuela. Yeah. Um, uh, I think he, he, he really uh, took up the cause of Mexicans and Central Americans who were you know, trying to get driver's licenses so that they could just, uh, you know, make ends meet and hold hold down jobs and care for their families. He uh, found it extremely offensive that, um, you know, a population of people that were here before European Americans were somehow um, being told that, uh, you know, they, they, they couldn't have fundamental rights. Um, and he often joked that he uh, supported full amnesty for European Americans <laughs> and supported the rights of European Americans to get driver's licenses and things like that. Um, and that, that, that's why he was an effective speaker. He had a way of uh, bringing humor into what was a depressing situation. And, um, uh, you know, he told me a great story about how he got into um, the, uh, the stock market, uh, I guess, after... He had run for president as a socialist. Um, he continued to be in the party and then took a leave of absence for a year to spend time with his family in Venezuela. And when he came back to the United States, he was expelled from the party very unceremoniously, uh, simply not allowed into a, a meeting. And uh, at the time, the Socialist Workers' Party was kind of breaking into very sectarian uh, divisions. And... Um, uh, Peter was uh, sort of, you know, not working. He had some kind of part-time job, I think, at the post office. Yeah, postman. Yeah. yeah, he couldn't. He couldn't make his rent. And a good friend of his, I think it was Alan Hicks, uh, uh, who uh, had uh, been successful with the financial markets, encouraged uh, Peter to give it a try. And they hatched this idea that you know Peter would apply for a job. Ultimately, he applied uh, for a job with Merrill Lynch, <laughs> and um, uh, Peter said, you know, the, the only true thing on his resume was his name and phone number. <laughs> they gave him an interview, and, of course, his resume looked pretty good. Uh, he had a lot of experience, and they hired him and, and sent him, uh, you know, offered him a, a good 
good-paying job, and they were all set to send him to be trained <laughs> on, the, on the East Coast. But uh, as it turned out, uh, uh, Peter's friend said, you can't accept the job. And Peter was beside himself saying, why not? I need the money. What are you talking about? <laughs> and they said, well, it, they're not paying you enough. You have too much experience to accept this salary, right? So Peter actually negotiated for a higher salary given his phony experience that he had listed and uh, went out, got trained, and uh, was a pioneer really in setting up uh, you know, uh, funds that uh, invested money in, in uh, uh, good companies doing good environmental work and socially responsible investing. Mm-hmm. Um, Merrill Lynch eventually found out that he was uh, a socialist who had run for president and been arrested countless times. So, um, you know, there was some humor there because, uh, you know, the, the, the higher-ups uh, wanted him fired immediately and the guys that worked with him on the West Coast uh, tried to defend him, saying, "But wait a second, he's you know he's our star, you know investor, we, you know uh, stockbroker. We can't just fire him." Uh, it was very funny. Yeah, I mean, it's they didn't have Google in those days. I guess they couldn't Google his uh, his name. That's right. Peter said, "Matt, it would have never happened today." He said, "I wouldn't have had a chance." Mm-hmm. Um, sure. Yeah, and you know, the, I mean, the thing about it is, it really speaks to his ability to adapt. I mean, and that's something that he learned by working in so many different environments. You know, he was, uh, he was good at, at kind of figuring out what the situation was and his politics always came through what he believed in. You know, you put a guy like that in the federal reserve or the U S Senate or, you know, uh, any board of directors and you're going to see change, you know, because, that's who he is. You know, he, he never capitulated his ideals. And even when he was, you know, successful and made money in the stock market, I mean, the reality was he's running for governor telling everybody that taxation of the rich wasn't fair, you know, that, that, that he was getting unfair leniency, in effect, because he was wealthy and working class people had to pay uh, a, higher, a higher rate of taxation. Right. <laughs> so he had no no qualms about uh, working in the stock market. Uh, no, not at all. I mean, I think he he saw the irony of it, <laughs> but he didn't he didn't make his money off of bad companies or anything like that. He was uh-huh. often investing in solar companies and uh, you know trying to do stuff like that. I mean, so so it was consistent with his politics. You know, even uh, now the Camejo Group um, of which is still alive and, and, and thriving, is doing well in the face of the stock market crashes. And I, I know about this personally because I've got my 401K money invested with Peter. And I would call Peter and I would say, oh, Peter, the stock market is falling, you know, what about my little investment? And he would tell me, no, don't even worry about it. Even if you see a little bit of a dip, you're not going to see a big dip because I've got your money invested in socially responsible investments. I got you in solar. I've got you in uh, some fixed securities. And sure enough, uh, and I think about every day I hear about the stock market falling 200, 100, 200 more points, I know when I get my statement from the Camejo Group, I'm going to be okay. 
So Peter um, <laughs> could work the, the stock market for the good that was there. Uh, and, you know, and, and you wouldn't be harmed by it. And just like when he was with Merrill Lynch, he had the top performing uh, account of anyone in Merrill Lynch. You know, and that's why they didn't want to fire him, I'm sure, because he was making money for them heads over heels. Well, now that Merrill Lynch, I think, just filed bankruptcy uh, or is going down, I'm no, sure. No, they, they, they got bought out by... Uh uh, Bank by, of America? Yeah, yeah. Okay, they got bought out by Bank of America. You know, they would love to have Peter Camejo on their staff, uh, probably as the president of Merrill Lynch, to keep them from, from going down. The, uh, his book is uh, The SRI Advantage, Why Socially Responsible Investing Has Outperformed Financially. Right. So that, have you read that book? Not all no. of it. <laughs> he gave it to me. He told me, read this so you'll understand what's happening. <laughs> I should read it. <laughs> yeah, but I, I haven't. In fact, I think I will read it because um, I was very lucky. Peter was my personal investment banker. So, <laughs> you know. So that's the idea. You know, let, yeah. let, let, me, let me jump in here. I mean, I think Peter uh, is a good... Um, uh, has a lot to teach people, particularly young people, in that, um, you know, I think it's important that when you live your life that you live it in a way that you're comfortable, that you have a role to play, that, that, you're, that you're a participant in what's going on. And that means if you're not out actively trying to change what's happening, then you are, uh, in effect, complicit in what's happening. Mm-hmm. That, that there is no such thing as a bystander. There is no such thing as a, as a non-participant. It's not an accident what happens. Things are happening because people are making decisions. They're passing laws. They're, they're uh, voting appropriations. They're taking, uh, you know, they're getting bribes. They're, they're doing uh, good and bad things. And I think uh, Peter's life really stands... Uh, there's a lesson there about uh, civic engagement. And I think that uh, although Ralph Nader was never a member of any kind of radical group or any kind of sectarian political group, he and Peter had that in common. They had this idea of a kind of small-town America where you could still go to City Hall and uh, voice your grievances and implement solutions except that the arena that they were thinking of was the United States and the world. And so, you know, I think um, a lot of times, uh, you know, I mean, in Peter's own evolution, he ultimately got to a place that was a little bit closer to Ralph Nader's, which was he regretted, I think, uh, having uh, kind of allowed himself to be uh, wrapped up in, in, in a mantle of socialism and the labels of socialism and all the, all the baggage that that carried with him. He was, he was certainly proud of it, but he also felt that this had been an impediment to implementing good ideas because for a lot of people, their ears close when they hear that word. And he liked to cite some of the examples in Latin America where there has been uh, some pretty radical change that, uh, that, that these revolutions uh, avoided such labels. And, uh, you know, I talked to Peter 
this month uh, a couple of times, and, you know, we had a conversation about this. He says, you know, they want to label us so that they don't have to fight our ideas. Mm-hmm. Imagine how easy it is for them to just say, oh, he's a socialist, and that's supposed to tell the listener, don't pay any more attention to him. He's not credible. Yeah, I, I watched a little bit of uh, the tribute to Peter at the, on, on YouTube or on Google uh, video. There was some, uh, maybe YouTube or Google, uh, some tr- uh, uh, video of the Socialist Workers' Party convention this year, and there was a tribute to him. Uh, and they called themselves revolutionaries. Does, uh, did he use that label? Um, I'm sure he did at one time. I, I, I don't think I had heard him uh, use it for himself. I mean, he saw social and, you know, government uh, revolution in other, in other countries, so it wasn't a word that he ran from. But um, i got to think about that. I mean, I think, uh, I think he, he, uh, he was talking more in the context of, um, uh, you know, the uh, content over form. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never but, heard uh, him yeah. uh, use the word itself, but in, in what we were trying to do and in how changes were made in this country with the abolitionists and uh, with women's rights, you know, with gay rights, with civil rights, uh, there was always an undertone of this is a revolution. And I would imagine that being uh, a good friend of, of both Malcolm X. Oh, sorry, we lost the audio a little bit. Oh. Hi, who? Donna. Yeah. Okay, uh, who, a good friend uh, of Malcolm X and... King and, and Malcolm X both saw revolution as a way of change, but they saw it in different ways. Malcolm X was a more overt revolutionary, but King was a much more subtle. And I think that Peter understood that there had to be a revolution of sort, but it wasn't a bloody revolution. It was a revolution to overturn people's, to educate people and to overturn their minds. Was, uh, how did he... Uh, how did he become such a good uh, stockbroker? You think? Well, I think he um, he probably sat at the the feet of his father, who was a very astute uh, a businessman, and Peter was brilliant. On his MIT scores, he scored perfect on math. You know, oh. he, he was very very smart, very intellectual. Could. Oh, we lost some of that, uh, Donna. He could. You uh, know, yeah, yeah. Let me let me jump in here. You know, I, uh, you know, the tribute that you made reference to occurred a few months ago, right? And I, I know Todd Cretion was involved in that, and Todd was um, is a member of the International Socialist Organization and a comrade of Peter's and ran for the United States Senate the last time Peter was running. Uh, for governor and uh, very good friend, close friends, um, you know, to Peter. Peter admired him, uh, and I think they had a lot of mutual uh, respect and admiration for one another. But I, I, I really, when I look on the landscape in terms of who out there 
resembles Peter, kind of a young Peter Kameo. I think a Todd Cretion. I really, he's someone that is firmly rooted in socialist principles, but he's also trying to get stuff done, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think he's someone to look look to in the future. Oh, that's good. Yeah, um, and that's on. Yeah, you can Google that and uh, find it on video. Uh, one of the videos uh, online. Uh, there's also uh, other uh, materials. I think on his. Uh, Governor's run was this, uh, or the presidential run maybe, before there's, uh, there's audio of uh, Peter Gameo talking and his campaign uh, interviews on different channels. Uh, California Channel, there was an interview with him when he was running, uh, and you know he explained why he was running. So there's actually a lot more stuff out there now, uh, given the Internet, that one can find. Right. Yeah, I, yeah I've, I've watched some of it. It's... it's uh... It makes me laugh to watch it because he's quite funny at times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, he called himself a Venezuelan-American, uh, and he was able to reach out to the Latino vote, uh, the different communities that make up the Latino vote. Yeah, I think uh, I think he, he uh, tried to do that. I think he was very uh, uh, instrumental in participating uh, with Antonio Gonzalez and Atibo Lopez and others uh, in an effort to try to, you know, Miguel Arahu also uh, yeah. trying to, trying to educate people on, on, uh, you know, the fact that they didn't have uh, this community didn't have some of the fundamental rights that they should have, and that the Latinos in the state legislature simply weren't doing enough. You know, he liked Gil Cedillo for his efforts to get driver's licenses passed, but he also thought that there had been some mistakes made. Uh, you know, and agreeing to withdraw legislation with a kind of soft promise from Schwarzenegger that he would, you know, help pass this thing. And, of course, that never materialized. And he just saw so many politicians flip-flop on the issue. Um, but uh, he's very well known in uh, Latino circles in the state. And, uh, you know, I, I got a call earlier from somebody who was already uh, on the radio talking about him and taking calls uh, from the community in, in remembrance. But yes. Peter, in, his, in the campaign in 2006 for governor, made a concerted effort to bring in all groups. He brought in leaders from the Muslim community. He brought in leaders from the black community, from the gay uh, and lesbian communities. He was very inclusive, and he knew that working together we can make a change. Uh, in fact, during that campaign, uh, Peter issued a book, uh, published a book called California Under Corporate Rule. Uh, just lately, in fact, last week, I have a friend who lives in Poland who I sent a copy of the book, and he passed this one book around to 100 students. They absolutely loved it because of the ideas that uh, are in the book. Um, and will be writing about it. Unfortunately, I had wanted to send Peter uh, their comments, but I wasn't able to uh, in time. But uh, the inclusivity of, of Peter Camejo was amazing, and I think that's what made his appeal so overwhelming to all people in California. And if we had fair voting systems, uh, a fair electoral system, Peter Camejo would have been. Sorry, we didn't catch that. Peter would have been. Donna. 
You know what? I guess you can't hear my fee too good, uh, so I'm just going yeah, to... Yeah, what did you say about Peter would have been... Uh... He would have been elected governor because in a poll that was taken, 70% of the people polled wanted Peter Camejo to win uh, the governorship. Oh, wow. What, yeah. what, what poll was that? Do you know? Do you remember? Well, this was taken and you know... I, no, I I don't remember the name, and I probably could get you that information. But this was taken oh, right great. before the election was held. They wanted him in the debates. They wanted to vote for him, but they were afraid. And Peter always recognized that people do not vote their choice. They vote their fears. Ah, wow, that's you, interesting. Yeah. You, you know, I, I, I'll say this. Uh, I remember... The last time uh, Peter ran for governor, they um, they set up the conditions. The League of Women Voters set up the conditions uh, for what it would take to get him into the debates. And they had two criteria. One criteria was that you have a certain percentage right. of support. The other criteria was that um, a certain percentage of – that you have a poll that a certain percentage – of the voting public uh, wants you in the debate. And they had, a, I want to say it was maybe a 40% threshold or something like that for, you know, getting a poll of people wanting you in the debates. Well, Peter, shortly thereafter, there was a poll that had, you know, it was it was a really high 60 70% wanted him in the debates. <laughs> and the League of Women Voters then simply withdrew that criteria. Huh. and said, sorry, uh, we're only going to use the other criteria. So in mm -hmm. other words, after he met the criteria, they they changed the rules on him. And that's that's the kind of right. garbage, you know, that's that, that uh, they have to do, you know. <laughs> really? Oh, that's changing the rules midstream. Yeah. Wow. So uh, thank you very much for this tribute to uh, Peter Camejo, uh, Matt Gonzalez, Donna Warren. Uh, for remembering this um, historic figure, it's a big loss. Thank you. Thanks, thanks Thank for having you. us. Thank you very much. Uh, that was uh, remembering Peter Camejo um, program here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Peter was a third-party candidate for president and for governor and uh, investment broker for Merrill Lynch. This is Dan Zhang, signing off for KUCI Subversity Show here at 88.9 FM and KUCI.org on the web. The opinions expressed on the show are not necessarily those of the regents of the University of California nor the management of KUCI.